So hey, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, February 22nd, 2020. Lots of twos there. <laughs> well, this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment. We do encourage, and in some cases, start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers, and we don't do public speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppressions, and survival. And we talk about culture, and arts, and politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. We may step on a few tonight. Uh, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives, and we will provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here, live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. First, let me remind everybody that we um, uh, we stream the show on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. Uh, that's the audio. On video, we stream it on our Facebook group page and share that on a, on a bunch of other group pages. And we do that via Facebook Live. We take the audio and we put it up as a podcast after the show. Uh, we do that via SoundCloud. And we take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. So there's many ways to watch it. There's a couple of ways to catch the show live and uh, even more ways to catch it after the fact. So, um, again, you can just search Let's Talk Native Podcasts. Um, with John Kane, let's talk native with John Kane podcast, and you can find this show and my shows I do in New York. In fact, we put on that same same podcast. So um, I'm the host, <laughs> and I'm joined here in studio by Jake Proud, who's managing our video and our audio. Um, all right, I, obviously I've got to talk about the Cayuga stuff, but let me do a bit of an update um, because the the whole issue with uh, with Soweton territory. And the um, railways that are blocked, that's not over by any stretch of the imagination. The only things that have changed is, you know, all that sweet talk that Justin Trudeau put out, you know, uh, when they did their House of Commons speech. Two days later, it's like, all right, we've had enough. These blockades got to end and we're going to, um, you know, send in the RCMP. I mean, you know, you say two days earlier, wow, we can't really tell the RCMP what to do, and we've got to have compassion. I'm offering my hand um, in, in, uh, as a gesture of reconciliation and peace and friendship, and then two days later he's saying, oh, hell no, this has got to end. So uh, that was Justin Trudeau. In the meantime, some of, these, uh, uh, some of the folks who are engaged in this um, – resistance of the pipeline going through Wet'suwet'en territory, including uh, some of the, the folks who people are calling hereditary chiefs, but tra- traditional chiefs, um, and some of the other folks, came out to Mohawk territory. And they came out specifically because Mohawk territory is where um, a lot of these rail blockades began, and the most significant blockades are happening within uh, Mohawk territory. Tyndanega in, in particular, but um, not exclusively there. Uh, Gunawage, they've been blocking the rails. I think even a group of Senecas went down and walked on the railroad tracks <laughs> today. But, um, <clears throat> but so the, these, these guys came out, and they met with the folks in Tyndanega, and then they went out to, to Gunawage, and uh this they come out in the wake of the RCMP claiming oh yeah we'll pull out of there as long as you let the 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 pipeline workers back in which is a it's a stupid and ridiculous offer i mean the reason the RCMP is there is because the people aren't letting the pipeline uh, go through the territory so to say well if you let it go through we'll leave all oh, that was obvious um so here's the situation what <laughs> With the message that has been delivered, you know, both by the Mohawks and the the Wet'suwet'en people, is uh, there's nothing that's going to happen until the RCMP pull out. 
until the RCMP pulls out of what's 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 territory, and that means everything: their trailers, their you know their their all their vehicles, all that. Until they they are no longer there or on the perimeter, there's nothing to talk about. And what the you know the the, the Mohawk people, the Mohawk communities that have been blocking these rails are saying, until these Wet'suwet'en representatives go back home and tell us that you're gone. And and that there's no more pipe, you know, the the, the pipeline folks, the, the you know these these folks who are are pushing this pipeline through are gone. We're not moving either. Now, in the meantime, the there have been some efforts. I think one group actually got sued. They they tried to name them in a lawsuit for doing a, a blockade, and you know they didn't. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, these guys, you're going to sue me for this? And then it turns out, I think something to do with the way the papers were served or written up was wrong anyway. But you know, it's it's kind of a, kind of a joke. But I want people to understand that nobody has caved in at this point. Uh, the only, you know, the only thing negotiable is is that both the uh, you know the the people who are manning these blockades and the Wet'suwet'en people are saying. You pull out, and then we'll talk. We're not giving you anything until until we know that you're gone, until you're out of our territory. And, you're, and and to be clear, this isn't just the RCMP like being there. They arrested people. They put guns to people's heads. They they assaulted people. All of this stuff. And, you know. So when Justin Trudeau and, and some of the other folks from this you know, this um, uh, in front of the House of Commons make the overture. Now, there's no question that Andrew Scheer, the um, uh, the opposition leader, the the conservative, I mean, he flat out saying, "No, bust heads, dra- drag him out of there." <laughs> Two days later, Justin Trudeau starts sounding like Andrew Scheer. I mean, it's it's you know the whole thing of, of Trudeau talking on the two sides of his face could not be more clear. Now, one of the things that that the undercurrent of what's been happening there has been some of the the Indian Act chiefs, these these band councils, these Canadian federally recognized councils and chiefs, whatever. I mean they call them grand chiefs, they call them they have all kinds of you know illustrious names. They've come out and and they've somewhat condemned the the blockades, including one of the one of the quote unquote grand chiefs from Kanazatage. And he came out and, and condemned the, the, the blockades and, and said they should be taken down. <laughs> so the Mohawk people of Gunnazadaga, they, they blocked him. They wouldn't let him in his office. They, they basically, yeah, I mean, they, they literally scared the crap out of this guy. So then he makes an apology. Oh, I guess I shouldn't have said that. I didn't really consult with my people. Yeah, you think? But this is the nature of these guys who have our, who, whose only power doesn't come from you know, an election or electorate, it comes from the fact that the federal governments recognize them and give them their power. I mean, th- these band council elections, there's, you're, you'd be lucky if, you know, if 20 or 30% even participate in those elections. Why? Because it's not our way. It's just not our culture. Th- this whole idea of, of, of voting for these, these that's, that's not a traditional process. It, it's not only a flawed process. Hell, it's a flawed process, a process that Canada and the United States use. And the, we damn sure aren't using it. And so the, the small percentage of people, and I mentioned this before, on, on the U.S. side, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, what they consider a, a valid um, election is when somebody wins with a majority of only 30% of participation. So, and I, I take it back, not a majority, the largest minority, whoever wins the most votes 
uh, in, in an election. And the threshold is only 30% of uh, participation. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty dismal. And why is it so low? Because we don't vote. I mean, even Seneca Nation, there's like seven or 8,000 Senecas. There's only about 1,600 people that vote in the elections. <laughs> and that's a big, a big turnout compared to Aquasasne or Ganazadage or, or you know, Six Nations. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, it, it, it isn't sad, really. What it is is the overwhelming majority of Native people they their vote of confidence is is demonstrated by no, by not voting. It, it's just that simple. But then you have this notion of the federally rec- the Canadian federally recognized leadership. All right, so that's the status. You know, we're, you know, we'll see. I mean, honestly, I expect that the the RCMP is probably going to pull out of what's over in the territory and the pipeline worker. At some point, the calculation is this. Is it worth putting that pipeline through for a private company to sell their natural gas um, cheaply and easily to Asia and have all of the rail shut down? I, I posted a, um, a comment on Facebook today. I says, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody could do a scientific evaluation on the environmental benefits of these, of these rail lines being blocked for two or three weeks? I think that'd be, I'd like to know. If, I mean, maybe there's not. I find it hard to believe that there's, that there's no positive uh, benefit, at least to the environment. It'd be an interesting, uh, you know, it'd be an interesting test, put it that way. So, again, I that's that's the status of things up there, and I and I bring it up and I and I frame it in that way because it's related to the the big story. What what I've really got to talk about that that you know broke today. I started getting phone calls at um, in the six o'clock hour this morning, and the phone calls was about the feds. Um, the marshal service, FBI, local police, um, and the Cayuga Nation police, which are all white guys too. I mean, all of these non these non native police force uh, personnel going into Cayuga territory to demolish buildings that Clint Halftown, the federally recognized leader, um, has not been able to assert control over. So they didn't even run people out. They went in with with all of these armed, you know, literally like paramilitary police force again, and bulldozers, contractors with bulldozers to demolish buildings. Now they demolished the store, uh, and this has been a point of contention because the stores continue to operate, even though Clint Halftown, who, who, and I'll get into who Clint Halftown is and 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 how he got his federal recognition. Uh, Clint Halftown has not been able to shut these guys down. He's tried. He's tried uh, any number of things. In fact, the local police would not respond to Clint Halftown's desire to run these people out. They they, they just no, nah, we're not gonna we're not gonna get involved in that. Well, because the federal law enforcement agencies got involved, or the marshals, which are real really processors, but the, because the federal uh, agencies got involved, the, the local police had to had to respond. So they go in um, and they paved the way. And it's kind of interesting because they go in to, to bulldoze a smoke shop that the federally recognized leaders couldn't control. Boy, what, that seems to ring a bell. When did that happen before? Oh, yeah, Onondaga. Yeah, the seat of the, the central fire of the Haudenosaunee. Yeah, the Onondaga chiefs. Yeah, they're federally recognized too. And they used cops. And then went in with bulldozers and bulldozed uh, all of the stores that they didn't feel were compliant with their authority. So, now this isn't even a new idea. 
Now, Clint Afton gives some, you know, some prepared statement. Well, we, we, we demolished these in the, in the interest of public safety. No, you didn't. The next part of his statement made it clear. They demolished these things because they didn't want any of the, the, the resistance to him to have anything to cling on to. They, so they demolished a store, a, a gas station and smoke shop. I don't know what they did with inventory. No idea. Um, but they, they went in and demolished it. They um, demolished their sugar shack, an ice cream, you know, stand. They demolished the daycare center, which was operational. I mean, during the week, I mean, there were kids in this thing uh, uh, normally. I, mean, I guess that's the reason for doing it in the in the wee nighttime, early morning hours to do it before kids were in there. I, you know, at least right. So they demolished that. They demolished a bunch of cabins, and they demolished the longhouse. Now I say longhouse because that's what it was, but. It oftentimes wasn't called a longhouse, and I'll get into, into that a little bit as we go forward too. So, who were these people who were the were the resistance? Well, I got to explain that too. But let me back this thing up to what what federal recognition is, and who's played the big hand in in as far as Haudenosaunee territories. There's one player that has had their hand in all of this federal recognition stuff. And that's Onondaga. Yeah, that's the Onondaga Nation. And their attorneys, Joe Heath in particular. Um, now, before Joe Heath, the, the Onondagas got really involved in the Oneida federal recognition process. And they defied the condoled chiefs, the, the, the Haudenosaunee, the, the Confederacy-recognized condoled chiefs of the Oneida Nation. They defied them, and they went to bat for Ray Halbritter to get federally recognized. And they said, well, he needs to be recognized as the Oneida Nation of New York. That's the, you, that's the, the Onondaga Nation saying this. And they went to bat, and you, sure enough, Ray Halberter became federally recognized. He, he, he was awarded this privilege of being named the leader of the Oneida Nation by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Not by, not by the Oneida people, but who, who, you know, who encouraged that to happen? Oren Lyons. They used letters from Leon Shenandoah. They used the, the, all of their, their legal resources, the Indian Law Resource Center, Louis Bruce, and, and a whole bunch of... I don't, I don't even think Joe Heath was... Uh, he was he, he was probably still, you know, doing stuff with the ACLU or the, I don't know, the Lawyers Guild or something in New York. But, um, but yeah, so they, they get minutes to get, to get Ray Halberter federally recognized. Then they try to get his recognition pulled. And they try to place this other dope in there. Um, and that doesn't work. So let me think. So they they got somebody federally recognized, then tried to tried to influence the Bureau of Indian Affairs to pull that recognition and put somebody else in there, and that's where they failed. So that's why Ray Halbert today is there. He's he's in he's federally recognized for the United as United Nation leadership because of Onondaga. But they have a falling out, and now Onondaga, you know, now they'll they'll speak ill of Ray Halbritter. but they're the ones who they, they were the kingmakers. Orin in particular. So that's the that's what happened there. So, okay, so what's that have to do with Cuga? Well, Clint Halftown was also federally recognized via Onondaga. Onondaga basically said, no, he's the Cuga chief. I mean, there was other there were other people involved, uh, Deuce Isaacs and, and others, but but Clint was young. As some of these people, you know, uh, uh passed on, Clint was left. And of the of the originals that Onondaga you know, certified as the Haudenosaunee chiefs. So Clint Halftown 
was federally recognized, again, and fully supported by the Onondaga Nation until he decided that his his best option for trying to do something and reclaim land and, and, uh, and build the financial resources was to partner with Ray Halbritter, <laughs> the fallen angel. <laughs> so he, he teams up with, with Ray Halbritter, and now Onondaga says, no, we're going we're gonna to have your recognition pulled. Yeah, again, it wasn't so easy this, the second time either. And so now Joe Heath is involved. Now Joe Heath is, is he's promoting this group that he calls the Cayuga um, um, Chiefs. Calls them the traditional, the Haudenosaunee Chiefs. And, and most of this is a, is a crock. Half the people are in the wrong clans. They're duplication of titles either from Six Nations. It, it's, it is really a sham. But he's going to try to get the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and he's, and he's convinced the Cayugas, oh, we can win this. You know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I know this stuff. We, we can go to the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and we can get this Chiefs Council federally recognized, and, and we'll get rid of, we'll get rid of uh, Clint Halftown. Well, you know, the thing about the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they, they got caught in, uh, into some legal proceedings a number of years ago, and they said, we cannot create a void in tribal government. So we can't just pull somebody out. We have to have, you know, and, and I'm not defending the Bureau of Indian Affairs. They're, they're just a bunch, a bunch of bullshit artists anyway. But so here, here you have it. You've got Joe Heath and his chiefs. I call them the Heath chiefs. So you got Joe Heath with his crew putting on, you know, con- as contestants in, in the BIA beauty contest against Clint Halftown. Now, Clint Halftown's not a prize package either. I mean, he, he's a, he's a, a bit of a bumbling guy. I mean, he, he's kind of, you know, really supported by his mom. Um, he is not exactly what you would, you know, picture as the, you know, the shiny example of, uh, of, you know, leadership. Um, but he's federally recognized. Well, at some point, the feds do back off of that federal, and they say, well, we recognize him, but they wanted to not necessarily, uh, certify how much authority he had. It, it was kind of a, so they didn't pull recognition, but they wouldn't certify his, his recognized leadership. So they created the opportunity for this beauty contest. And guess what? Joe Heath and Onondaga, you lost again. Yeah. You, you failed miserably. And, and so while this is going on, there's been this division within Cuga, um, you know, uh, Clint Halftown is running most of the businesses, including their cigarette factory and, and that kind of stuff, and uh, cigarette t- distribution, and, and one of the smoke shops and gas stations. The other one, however, um, Joe's, Joe's Heath Chiefs were running or, or had control of. And so what did they do? They lined their pockets. They built houses for themselves, bought properties that were not Cuyuga properties. These were purchases in their own name two, two of them carl hill buys a nice house uh um uh, sam george gets a nice house then they submit you know and they and they do renovations on the house with this money I mean, they're literally embezzling money from the from these uh the, the, this other smoke shop um uh, when the, they don't pay property taxes so now they're trying to get the smoke shop to cover property taxes on there i mean it's it's a debacle Others step a step up and, and uh, embezzle money too. Eventually, uh, a more solid group of people get in there and take control of the smoke shop. And honestly, they try to do the right thing. 
you know, they, they, they start trying to do some programs or, or reinvigorate programs that were, had been abandoned, including some ag programs. They, you know, they, they tap trees and do sugar. They, they have orchards. They, they, you know, and they've been distributing food. They've been doing some language programs. Again, build a daycare and they built a longhouse. But uh, so their relationship with the Heath chiefs is strained because Joe Heath, is contacting the lawyer representing these guys saying, look, they need to turn over the smoke shop back over to the Chiefs. The only way we're going to beat Clint Halftown in this battle of federal recognition is to prove that we that the Chiefs are the, the only legitimate authority there. That, you know, so they got to turn over. They got to turn over all the financial records. They got to turn over all control of the of the assets of um, of that of the Cuga territory there to the Chiefs. Now, these guys already went through this once and they said, no, nah, we're not doing that again. So they refuse. So now you've got like a third group. So you got Clint Halftown and his group, his mom and you know and, and his group. Then you got Joe Heath and his group, you know, of you know, stacked up, built up the you know, this Cayuga Chiefs Council. Um, some of them who have been indifferent, guys like Justin Bennett, who was a part of it and then not a part of it, you know, it's, they called them a unity council at one point. But then you got this group um who's still running one of these smoke shops who's like trying to creep some space and they said no nah, we're not going to turn over everything to you guys we don't trust you and the tensions between the heath chiefs this this traditional council and the group that that's living there on on the premises i mean living in the houses running these businesses taking care of raising children i mean by all accounts doing pretty noble stuff as far as i'm concerned but they're at odds with Joe Heath and the group trying to win federal recognition, you know, over, over Glen Halftown. And it ain't going well because these guys are, are mired in their own controversy. Like I said, having embezzled money and all kinds of other stuff. And so the tension's there. So now Joe is drafting these letters for the, you know, for these chiefs councils to condemn the, the, the manager of the, of the smoke shop, to condemn anybody else who's doing, you know, um, employees and, and really trying to throw the people who are there under a bus. So it means, so what it means is the people who are there running the smoke shop, the daycare, doing all of these, these things, they're like the odd men out. They're not in Clint's half, Clint Halftown's camp. And they aren't really in the other camp. Although, this is where it gets kind of tough. <laughs> they, they certainly lean more towards the Heath Chiefs because they know they, they're, they're not ever going to be able to work with Clint Halftown. I mean, that's, that's kind of their, their view. I, I don't know that, that the, the Heath Chiefs are, are the best option for them. So here's what they do. They keep one of those Heath Chiefs, Sam George, the guy who, you know, who bought himself a nice house, and we're trying to get them to pay their pay his property taxes for him. They keep him on payroll for what? As a chief, so he's like a professional chief. He just gets paid from the smoke. So he gets paid at the smoke shop that the rest of these chiefs are trying to wrestle with, and he just shows up every every week and gets his check. So this group has not necessarily completely divorced themselves from those who are fighting for this federal recognition. And ultimately lose. So in the end, the Joe's effort, Joe Heath's effort, totally fails. It's it's a miserable debacle of a failure. And Clint gets you know gets his recognition confirmed, and then they appeal it, and it gets confirmed again. So for the last I don't know year, you know eight months, 
Clint's been like sending eviction notices out. So the people who are left there, they don't really have the full support. They don't. They certainly don't got Joe Heath in their corner. <laughs> and they don't. Even though they're paying Sam George, Chief Sam George, he's not doing a damn thing for them. He's not out there advocating for them. He just shows up every week and gets a, gets a paycheck. So they're just they're kind of in limbo. They're living in houses that are Cayuga Nation houses. They're employed under this, you know, uh, the, the revenue coming in from smoke shop and gas, smoke or cigarette and gas sales. And it's almost like they're buying time, you know, and they're living, you know, they're living their lives. I mean, they're raising their children and that kind of stuff under the, a constant threat that, that Clint Halftown, as the federally recognized leader, is going to come in and give them all the boots. And in many ways, they're, they're holding up. They're saying, no, we're going we're gonna to fight him. We're going to fight him. And, Look, I went out there. I went out there and I talked to them. I said, I don't, I don't know how you're going to fight them. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if they come in with cops, which is exactly what they did this morning, and they didn't get met with a whole lot of resistance. They came in with, with feds and cops and bulldozers and destroyed everything. So now, though, the people who were working in the smoke shop, the people who have been, you know, operating the daycare and providing you know, services to the kids and you know, doing language programs. Oh yeah, let me let me back go back up to the longhouse. <laughs> so the other thing related to this longhouse, I got this. This is one is really rich. So they build this longhouse. Actually, ironically, they hire a contractor. I think that's the thing that Sam George did. Sam George contracted somebody to come in and build the longhouse. So white guys came in and built their longhouse for them. Yeah. Um, it's not like we don't have builders, native builders, but no. So they hire this this, this builder who's going to come in and build a longhouse for them. Joe Heath notifies them that they can't call it a longhouse because Sid Hill, the Tadadaho, the the Grand Poobah of the Haudenosaunee, won't recognize and won't sanction their longhouse. So Joe Heath tells them that you can't call it a longhouse. So they've been calling it a schoolhouse this whole time. It's a freaking longhouse. I mean, it's a longhouse. Now, they were using... Well, I'm sorry. It was a longhouse until this morning. But they were using this longhouse for ceremonies, for doing language classes, for teaching kids, for doing things with the kids. I mean, and so... But they weren't calling it a longhouse. They had to call it a schoolhouse. Well, today, they were calling it a longhouse. I mean, they should have been calling it a longhouse the whole time. But that was one of the buildings that, that Clint, um, Clint's bulldozers went in and bulldozed. And I'll tell you, this was a pretty nice building. You know, as far as longhouses go, granted, it was built by white guys. But as far as longhouses go, this was a pretty nice one. It was. Now it's a pile of rubble. So that's what, what Clint did. I had to, had to tell you the longhouse story because, you know, again, Onondaga imposing its will even on these guys and and, and again even sam george the, their chief the, their one paid chief part of the joe heath group he was forbidden he couldn't call it a longhouse he couldn't he had to call it a schoolhouse so all that's gone now there's still these these cayugas and and others you know non-cayugas who live there and work there work there that are still living there and now it's just a waiting game and, and frankly, they're holing up and they're they're vowing to defend their right to be there. But I don't know what's going to happen. But the, the likelihood is, you know, either Clint's going to try to starve them out um, or he's going to go in with, with force and, and force them out. Now, I don't think he's going to bulldoze these houses. These, these houses aren't sitting within this collective of, uh, you know, this Cuga property. So it's a little bit of a different situation. Uh, now is Clinton going to go after you know Carl Hill and and his beautiful house that uh, the smoke shop paper? Is he going to go after Sam George? 
Don't know. Is he going to go after individuals and try to call him, you know, uh, charge him with theft? I mean, he's already threatened that. So who knows wh- where this goes from here? All right, we're at the bottom of the hour. So I'm going to take a break, but I want to come back because I got to, you know, explain that this isn't just bad guys versus good guys. It, it, there's some people who are relatively innocent caught in the crossfire of two groups vying not for the will of the of the Cuga people, but I'll talk about that a little bit too, but vying for the federal authority that backs them up. And Onondaga was at the center of it. All right, we'll take a break and we'll come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. Hey, uh, quick shout out to my sponsors. Uh, I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, um, Eric White in ERW Enterprises, uh, the folks at Grand River Enterprises, and the folks at, at Cat Res. I want to thank you guys for for stepping up and supporting what I do here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about sponsorship. Thanks, <laughs> appreciate it, but I, I do need to get right back into it. So, I mean, part of the reason I got to tell the story the way the truth of this thing is because. I know a lot of people are pitting this thing as somehow band councils or tribal councils versus traditionals, and it isn't that. This group of chiefs that Joe Heath promoted, they, they are not this, this bastion of, of traditional culture. In fact, there's clashes with some of those guys and the folks in Six Nations, as a matter of fact. It's not a smooth thing. And the folks who, who are the victims here, the ones who, who are actually living there and, and, and whose kids now are living in fear... I mean, they, they are kind of the victims. The, the kids are the, are the true victims here. In fact, the kids of the people who are, who are involved with, with doing this harm and damage, those kids are damaged too. I mean, so they're, they're the real victims here. But this isn't like just this idea of innocent traditionalists being, being persecuted for their, for their beliefs. No, this is about power that two groups were vying for. Joe Heath and the the Onondaga-backed group claiming to be be chiefs and clan mothers, and they're not. I mean, they're not. But this Onondaga-backed, Joe Heath-backed group lost trying to get federal recognition. They participated in a BIA beauty contest and lost. (laughs) And they lost to Clint Halftown, which that probably wasn't even that easy to lose to him because Clint Halftown's no prize either. And the, the victims here, they, they're not completely innocent either because they were kind of backing in a way, backing the Heath Chiefs and certainly keeping one of them on payroll. So it's complicated. And, and here's the real bad part. Where the freak are the Cayuga people? I mean, I don't know how many enrolled Cayugas there are, but there's got to be, you know, five, six, seven hundred of them. I got to think there's that many, at least, maybe a thousand. I'll tell you what they're doing. They're catching whatever check comes their way. So when Clint Halftown, with, with the, the, the multi-million dollar operations that he has control of by virtue of being federally recognized, they're sending out checks. It's not a lot of money. But, you know, the Cubas have, have not had much. And until... Clint and company went in there and started acquiring property and um, and and building some businesses with his relationship with you know with Ray Hallbritter. There was there wasn't a whole lot going on. You know they had a Cuban Nation office. Ah, they had one right here in the Village of Guanda. They had one up in North Collins, I think. 
Um, but they didn't have a whole lot going on. You know, most Cayugas were scattered amongst other territories. And you know what? They still are. There's not a whole lot of Cayugas living out there in, in Clint's camp or this other camp. And, and in fact, the ones who were in this, in this camp, who had all of their enterprises and their buildings and their, their community buildings destroyed, um, I mean, the, there was a number of them, but it wasn't hundreds. So most of the Cayugas just sit back and, and let this thing play out. They aren't stepping up. So Clint doesn't represent the will of the people. I mean, we, this is the debate that we had about, you know, free prior and informed consent. Well, who gives consent? Well, Clint doesn't have to provide consent. He doesn't need consent. You know what he has? Federal recognition. You know, and of course, you've got the Heath Chiefs who, what do they have? They've got the Onondaga Council, the, the so-called seat of the Confederacy, claiming that they're legitimate. And they're not. And, and most people know it. I mean, there's people who are sitting as chiefs and clans and, and they're not even that clan. And they don't need to be. They just do. They have another clan. They said to, totally depleted. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a, a bit of a mess. But, and I know there are calls going out. You know, why did Clint do this today? I'll tell you why he did it today. He did it today because he figures, well, the Mohawks are all tied up blocking rails for uh, in support of what's what's Orton. This is essentially um, Clint Hafton taking advantage of a conflict happening in other native territories, not supporting it, taking advantage of it. He fell. Well, I, you know, I do this now. I know no Mohawk warriors are going to come down and protect these people. I mean, and I'm not saying that that you would have had this this huge influx of, but there had been uh, Mohawks had come down and said, "Look, let's try to keep the peace here." And they tried to reach out to both sides and keep them from doing something drastic, you know. And look, nobody's been killed. Although I think <laughs> Clint Halfdown, who has his own little police force, all ex hired uh, hired white cops that he hired to make his own little Cuga Nation police force. It's all white cops. They've got like seven people they arrested or detained for a variety of reasons. And, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to try to charge them and do it in a way that, you know, that the outside law enforcement um, recognizes these charges. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a whole twisted, it's a twisted thing. So, I mean, I mean, look, there are people there who are in danger. And, you know, I, I know I've seen some call-outs as, oh, people should send people down. I heard AIM say, well, we need to send some people. We need to send some warriors down there. I've heard people say, we need to send money. We need to send food. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to tell you what, what's transpired there. And, and at the end of the day, the biggest problem here is federal recognition. So... I, I throw this out almost as a cautionary tale to my friends out in Hawaii who have people there trying to sell them out for federal recognition. Yeah, I mean, we got Hawaiian, Hawaiians out there saying, look, if we can become federally recognized as a tribe, we can wield this kind of authority. Because now you don't have to worry about the consent of the people. Oh, throw, the, throw the people some money. And, and then and that's what Clint, Clint says. Well, everybody who cashes my check, they're my supporters. It doesn't mean they really are. It means that, that they haven't had crap. So they finally get a few bucks or maybe they get some vegetables or something like that. So, so he buys their, their silence. Same thing Ray Halbritter. I mean, that, that Clint learned all this from, from, from Halbritter. Of course, the bulldozing, he learned that from Onondaga. Onondaga, they were the first ones to go in there and bulldoze a bunch of stores they couldn't control. Well, that's exactly what, what, what Clint. So, I mean, it's ironic that you've got Joe Heath and Onondaga backing the opposition 
Uh, and then Clinton Halfdown does, it, does exactly what, what Anadaga did. You know, they've, they've brought police in to beat the crap out of people. Lined up state police. There was a whole trial about it. Lined up state police. They tried to buy them off and pay them off to, uh, for silence. And the state did. The state offered a settlement to all the people who were, who were brutalized when Onondaga called the state police in. So you've got these federally recognized leaders who use cops. They use federal agents. They use federal uh, you know, agencies and state and local police to enforce their will. This And what I try to say is that this is not unlike what's happening on the Canadian side. Look, part of the problem that, that exists in uh, uh, what's Oden territory is, the, is, again, the federally recognized band councils are saying, oh, yeah, put a pipeline through here. It'll give me money. It'll, it'll give us jobs. So they sell out. And then you have the people saying, no, no. And, you know, and... And but even some of those people get caught up in calling themselves British Columbians and Canadians. Even some of the traditional chiefs from Wet'suwet'en territory are saying stuff like, "Oh yeah, well all Canadians need to be treated equally." And and of course, they, this goes all the way to the House of Commons in Canada, and everybody's talking about all Canadians, all Canadians. No, you're not recognizing that there are Native people on both sides of that imaginary line who say, "No, I'm not an American," and "No, I'm not a Canadian." But see, here's the problem. You know, and I'll give an example of it. Seneca Nation hires a white guy to do a, uh, an economic impact study. In the very beginning of that study, he uses language where he says that, and I'm, I'm going to read from this thing. Um, he says, meaning the Seneca Nation, they are part and parcel of U.S. federalism. The division of governing authority across states, tribes, counties, municipalities, and districts. So they hire a guy who's supposed to be an expert on Indian country and economic development. And he says, tribal governments are part and parcel of U.S. federalism. Now, I know not everybody knows what that means. What he means is that tribes are part of the division of governmental authority, like, like federal, state, county, municipal, district, whatever, townships. Nestled in there somewhere between states and counties, this guy is claiming that's where tribal government fits. That that our governments, that our nations, and look, I know that's the way it feels sometimes, especially with band calls, tribal councils and band calls. Well, on the Canadian side, that is exactly what the Indian Act has created. This notion that these tribal governments, these band councils, are a division of Canadian federal governance canadian governments the whole system of dividing government from from federal to provincial to you know municipal and somewhere in that and in fact for all intents and purposes the biggest effort on the canadian side is to turn band councils into merely municipal governments they call they're calling it that municipalization you know, and of course, the big fear is that, you know, with it comes things like property taxes and all kinds of that. But even if it doesn't have all that stuff, the problem is if we look at ourselves as just some sort of subgroup of Canadians or some sub subgroup of, 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 of U.S. citizenship, our distinction's gone. So these guys who try to, who vie, not just for federal recognition of their territories or, or, or of their, their quote unquote nations, but these guys who vie for federal recognition as leaders, what they're trying to get is the power that the federal government. Now, they're not going to. The federal government is not going to give them, you know, uh, you know, 
they're not going to recognize a sovereign. No, in fact, even in the articles in the paper today, they also make well. Oh, the Cuban Nation is still under federal jurisdiction. Of course they are. They're they're. I mean, here's the thing that I also got to mention. All of the reporting keeps saying the Cuban Nation went in and demolished these buildings. No, they didn't. I mean, well, if they did, then then define what the Cuban Nation is. Because if the Cuban Nation is just what the federal government says it is. If it's not the people, look, we get into this debate here, here in Seneca territory too. What, what, where does, what is the nation? Is it the people or is it just the government? And in these cases, is it the people or is it what the federal government says it is the government? Is the nation the, the federally recognized council? If, is that what the nation is or is it the people? Well, in, in Cuba territory, Every one of these, these stories written in all these newspapers, they keep saying the nation came in and demolished. No, Clint Halftown gave the order for these things to be demolished. He did it. Not the Cuga people. No, the Cuga people are silent. Why? Because eh, we're not going to speak out too much. We may not get the next month's check. And look, I know I'm pissing some people off right now. And why is it pissing people off? Because what I'm saying is true. The Cuga people could step up and fix this. They've got to push back against the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Speak your mind. Do you support Clint Halftown? If I mean, are you saying because you get a check from the Cuga Nation, meaning Clint Halftown, that you support what he's doing? Because if you are, then the, then the rest of Cubans don't have a leg to stand on. But if you're just sitting back and being silent, and I don't know, the, the vast majority of Cubans may support Clint Halftown. And if that's the case then those people who are standing in his way, uh, you know, if, if the vast majority of Cougars support what Clint Halftown just did, I'll tell you, in Onondaga, the Onondaga people didn't speak up when the, when the, when the Chiefs bulldozed the, uh, uh, the store. I mean, a few people did, but not the vast majority. They didn't speak up when the, when, the, when the Chiefs brought in state police to beat the crap out of people who were, who were against the deal they were trying to make with the state on, on taxation. The vast majority of Oneidas just want the check they want to get you know free you know casino bucks at the at, at turning stone i mean i gotta tell you at least here in seneca territory people are willing to speak out i'm not saying they, they take the action they need to necessarily but if they're going to condemn somebody they're going to condemn somebody their, their silence isn't paid for because they will hold the, the, the Senecas accountable if they try to take away, you know, whatever uh, benefits they get from being, being Seneca. Uh, I'm not praising the Seneca Nation. The, the structure is terrible. I mean, I'm, the people are great. But most of the um, tribal governments, even those that claim to be, and I, and I use the word tribal not as a, as a compliment. And, and it's, I say it tongue-in-cheek because I think tribalism is like, primitive i mean it's like animals it's like monkeys and when i see what people call tribal government it's a debacle we don't we don't embrace our culture we don't embrace our history we don't even know what the clan system is we say things i mean i heard people say well you know we have a chief system uh, or the second asian replaced the chief system with a, with a constitutional government well we didn't have a chief system. We had a, we had a clan system. And it wasn't even a clan system the way people think it, about it. The clans aren't the animals that are 
uh, that people associate with. It isn't just bear, wolf, and turtle. You know, it isn't just, you know, snipe, beaver, and deer. It, it, that's not what the clans are. It's the families. It's the 49 families of that circle wampum. That's what the, the Haudenosaunee is. It's those 49 families and then one title that isn't a family. It's the, it's the Taladahu title. <laughs> the one that, that Sid Hill, the one who says, you can't, we, I'm not going to allow you to call your, your building a longhouse. That guy. And it's not that guy. It's that title that he sits in. But then there's 49 other, other titles. And there should be more. You know, frankly, the Tuscaroras should be recognized in, they, they should add more families to, you know, because they have, uh, they have clans. You know, they, they have families that, that are tied to, 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 to specific titles. But we don't even do that. that. I mean, my friend Jacqua Day, that's what he was all about. He's saying, look, we need to trace back. We need to know what of those 49 families we are a part of. I mean, I hear people say, oh, I'm, I'm a bear, I'm a turtle, I'm a wolf. Yeah, but if you're um, if you're Mohawk or Oneida, there are there are three titles, there are three families that are associated with with each each one of those animal totems, the uh, the bear, wolf, and turtle. And it isn't that there's just there's not just three clans. There's nine families. There's nine titles. We have lost our. We haven't lost our ways. We've lost our way. I mean, we were people who, who worked diligently to reach consensus on issues. Now we say, oh, we'll have an election. We'll put out a referendum. And whichever vote, whichever choice, whatever person gets the most votes wins. It doesn't matter if it's a dismal showing. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, 50% of 30% participation. So only, if it doesn't matter, if it's only 15% of the population. It doesn't matter. We're just going to go and check the box. Yeah, we did, we held an election. This person won. This issue won. Uh, we're doing a. We're going to do this. We're, go, we're not going to do that. We approve this. We're not going to approve that. We don't work together as communities, as families. We've lost so much of what defines us as Haudenosaunee. And the thing that undermines it the most is the power that comes with federal recognition. So. If you can get the Bureau of Indian Affairs to recognize you, you don't need all, oh, who needs all that consensus stuff? Once you, you can, you know, pass the test, and in situations like Cayuga, there wasn't even an election. There was no referendum. It was, it was two parties arguing their case in front of the Bureau of Indian Affairs as to who wins the prize. Who gets the tiara, the roses, and, and, the, and the sash across them because they won the BIA beauty contest? Now, believe it or not, Glenn Hafton won it. And so what did he do? He brought in the feds, he brought in the cops, and he brought in the bulldozers. So, you know, and, and, and this is what's tough. And, and look, am I pissing people off here today? I'm sure I am. But the problem is, that this is where we've been sucked into. We've been sucked into this crap, into this BIA federal recognition you know, beauty contest, into these, and into not no longer having governance that is responsible to their people, but but governs with the with the might that the federal government gives them, Canadian or or U.S. I once spoke at a conference in at Arizona State University. It was called. 
who decides you're real? Fixing the federal recognition process. I got invited. And the person who invited me says, what the hell are you asking me to come to this thing for? I don't even agree, not just with the system of federal recognition, but the idea of federal recognition. I oppose, she says, well, people should hear your perspective. Well, and, I, and I've mentioned this on, my, on the show before. And I went, and I, and I spoke. And in fact, um, Ross John was there, as a matter of fact. By the way, uh, before I forget, happy birthday, Ross John. Today's his birthday. <laughs> I just got to mention it. But no, Ross and his wife, Holly, they're sitting in the audience because they had, they had business in Arizona on the same time that this conference was taking place. So I, I speak at this conference, and I got a standing ovation. What did I talk about? I talked about not getting federal recognition. I talked about the fact that that not only is the Mohawk Nation not federally recognized, the word isn't even proper, and and that's half of the half of the bottom. We're, we, we half of the problem. We're calling ourselves Mohawks. We're not Mohawks. We're Gunyukahaga. We're the people of the land of Flint. We're not Senecas. We're um, Onundawaga, the people of the of the mountains of the or the big hills. But we. We got sucked into these labels that they're putting on us. And we call ourselves that. So we don't even define ourselves. Somebody else, they call, they call us Indians. <laughs> I mean, they, they call us nations. And yet, who gets to decide who the nation is? Apparently, the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs does. The Bureau of Indian Affairs got to decide who the Oneida Nation was. The Bureau of Indian Affairs decided who, who the Cayuga Nation is. And at the end of the day... When push comes to shove, if you don't have your own people supporting the governing structures in your community, like Onondaga, they bring the cops in. Because it's the, the, it's the Bureau of Indian Affairs that, that recognizes the authority. And, and, you know, and I've talked to police departments. They said, well, you know, we got, whatever the feds tell us, whoever the feds tell us is the leader, that's who we got to go with. Even if we don't, we don't agree with them. I talked to, I talked to a state senator or maybe it was, it was a congressman or a state senator i don't know but a guy in central new york uh, in um the utica area about ray halbert he's all oh, ray halbert he's a he's a scam he's a fraud he's he's a he's a, he's a, fr- a fake i says yeah but but you recognize him as as the leader and well i have to recognize him as a leader because the federal government tells me so you know he's a fraud and that his power comes from a fraudulent place but you don't have enough gumption and, and enough will to stand up and say to the Interior Department, I have a problem with, with recognizing his authority that you say I have to recognize. And so this, this, is, this is where we're left, folks. What's happening in Cayuga is a mess. It is a crisis. And it's not just a, it's not just a crisis that you can just fix. Clint Halftown is a fraud. But the other group that was was trying to get federal recognition, they were frauds too. Joe Heath's involvement with the Q, creating, trying to create the same mess in Cayuga that he that Onondaga created in Oneida, that 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 has never been healed up in in uh, in Oneida. The rift between the Oneida Council of Chiefs, the the, the condoled, you know, and the, in fact, the ripple effect of what Onondaga did to screw up Oneida. Has has even caused division amongst the other communities, even even within the community where the, where these these chiefs resided. Clint Halftown was a was recognized by the Onondaga Council as a chief. The Cayuga people didn't pull him out, although there were Cayuga people who were pissed off at him, 
I mean, some of the tension that 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 grew out of uh, Clint Halftown's rise to power and money was tied to, to greed and corruption. And but he wasn't the only one that was greedy and corrupt, and that's the problem. So, as in the in the wake of this, or not even the wake, in the midst of this this these blockades in support of uh, the Wet'suwet'en people, standing up for a good cause, the protection of their land, we we end up in the same we end up seeing the same thing playing out on the Canadian side as the U.S. side. This idea of who the Canadian government tries to empower. Who represents the authority of a community? So when I bring up things like the, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, free, prior, and informed consent, the problem with that is somebody else is going to decide what, what amounts to consent. What constitutes consent? As far as Canada or the federal government is concerned, or the U.S. federal government is concerned, I don't need to know the consent of the people. Just whoever the, fe- the whoever whatever the leaders that we recognize say, that's consent enough for us. So if the band council say, "Yeah, we like to have a pipeline go through," that's consent. It doesn't matter what the people think. And see, that's the flaws of not only the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, because at the end of the day, if the United Nations is saying this is the minimum standard for indig- for the rights of indigenous people, but then the countries that are violating those rights get to say, well, we're going to tell you who the indigenous people are. We're going to get to tell you who their leadership is. We're going to we empower them. We don't empower the people. We don't want to deal with millions of Indians. We just want a few people that can sign a check. We want a few people who can sign a contract. We want a few people who can sign off on, you know, on, on permission to do a pipeline or drill or, or mine or frack or any of that stuff. I feel terrible for what's going on in Cuba territory. And I wish those people who have been, you know, essentially the, the final resistance to Clint Halftown, because trust me, Joe Heath's chiefs, they're not out there. They're not resisting. They lost. They lost the beauty contest, so they threw the towel in. Oh, except for Sam, Sam George. No, he still collects the check. Well, sorry, Sam, your checks aren't coming anymore. I don't know how you're going to pay the property tax on the on the house you uh, you you bought with Cayuga money. So no, I feel bad for the for the people who are left there because I don't know what the answer is. You know, as long as Clint Halftown is the federally recognized leader, the will of the people doesn't matter. And as long as the Cuga people remain silent, see, in uh, in Gunnazadage, when that when that Grand Chief started calling down the the roadblocks, the people rose up and gave him hell. They put him back in his place. Well, kind of. He's still the grand chief, so I guess they didn't really take. They didn't really do what they should have done. <coughs> Reined in the, his quote unquote, unquote federal authority. It's the people fighting the pipeline in Wet'suwet'en territory, not the band council, and it's not even the, the the hereditary chiefs. They're supporting those people, but they've been indifferent. You know, they they start using some. We have to. We better figure out who the hell we are. Cuban Nation's a mess. It's been fed wrecked. 
And that's all I got to say on that. I want to thank you for listening. Look, I, I look for your comments, and look, if you if I angered you, then lash out. Let's have the conversation. But you know what? Let's get people involved in this conversation so we can take action. I was I went out to Cuba territory, by the way, when all the white people were were trying to do you know protest against them even being there. I stood there with native people from all over the Confederacy, from all over, as 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 these white racists drove by in the, in their big line of trucks with their hate signs and their you know all their white power stuff. I was proud to stand with the Cuba people. I haven't been proud to stand with the Cuba people in a while, but I, I'd love to go back. I'd love to stand. And look, I, I'm not afraid to go out there, you know, Clint Halftown or not, but I'm not going to go out there just for nothing. All right, folks, that's it. <laughs> this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll, uh, we'll see you back here on Tuesday. Yahweh.